0: Good morning, church. We welcome you to our services this morning. My name is Rich Barker, if you don't know me. And for those of you that are watching online, we welcome you to our service this morning. Uh, We're going to be talking about prophecy this morning. So we encourage you all to pay close attention so you don't fall asleep, okay? To begin with, I, I just want us to think for a minute about conversations that you may have had with somebody about God just God what would that be like well most of them would say well I believe in a God you know I think he's up there somewhere I don't think he has a whole lot to do with us but yeah I I believe in a God certainly there's probably somebody that ordered all this to be and you can carry on that conversation with them I think I can take this off now you could carry on that conversation with them for quite some time. But then, you bring up the name of Jesus. And what happens? Oh, I don't want to talk about religion. You, know, you want to talk about God somewhere up there, okay, but, but I don't want to talk about you know, Jesus. I wonder why that is. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? There was a TV host years ago. His name was Arsenio Hall. Maybe some of you have watched his program. But he had a thing on there that's, that went like this. Things that make you go, hmm. Yeah, I heard that. Things that make you go, huh. I've got some questions for you this morning that, that might make you do the same thing. Hmm. Why don't the names of Buddha, Muhammad Mohammed, and Confucius. Why don't they bring about the same results when you talk to someone about them? Everybody will talk to you about Confucius. We all name his sayings. There's a great deal to do with uh, Muhammad and the Islam faith. Seems like you can talk about that with no problem at all. Uh, It's just amazing to me. Buddha, you know, we see Buddha's little effigies all over the place and usually his belly that looks a lot like mine but it's smooth and shiny because people keep rubbing his belly. But they don't offend anybody like the name of Jesus does. Why is that? Well here's why. Only Jesus being man made himself out to be God. You get that? Only Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. And that's kind of exclusive. And that kind of sets people on edge. Well, you know, there's there's probably many ways to get to heaven. No, there's only one door. Now, I know that sounds exclusive, but it's not. It's inclusive. While it might be singular in its purpose, it is universal in its appeal. All who call upon the name of the Lord, he said, the promised Messiah, matter of fact, the word Christ, when we say Jesus Christ, it literally should be said, if you want to get the true meaning, Jesus the Messiah. It should be that, we, Messiah in the, in the Greek is, is translated as Christ. It's not his last name, it's his title. And yet that title, that, that title Messiah, is a unique, one-of-a-kind thing. Can you say amen? It's a unique, one-of-a-kind, one-of-a-kind things. He and he alone is the Messiah. So, we need to ask ourselves, if he claims to be the Messiah, by what credentials does he have that right to claim? What, what has happened in his life? What experience that he had? All of that. What gives him the credentials to say, I am the Messiah? good point. So today I'm going to look at just one credential that will help you have an answer for the faith that lies within you. It's fulfilled prophecy. Jesus the Messiah was forecast in prophecy that he should come. So in fact he is the promised one. Jesus, the promised one, the Messiah. So did Jesus ever say, <clears throat> pardon me, I have a frog in my throat. <clears> throat. Did he ever say that he was indeed the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy? Well, let's take a look at, at Luke 24, verse 27. This is what Jesus said. Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. Now, here the Old Scripture, Pastor, is is quick to remind us that when that verse is used, it's not talking about the New Testament, it's talking about the Old Testament. It's talking about the books of the the Old Testament, of the Septuagint, those books of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, uh, all of that. So he went from there, beginning with Moses. So he started with Moses. What did Moses say about the Messiah? And then he went right on through, up to date, explaining to them that he himself was the fulfillment of that scripture. That is an amazing thing. In Luke 24, <clears throat> Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, were still with you that all things which are written, all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he was referring to himself. All of these promises, all of these prophecies were to be fulfilled in him. So yes, Jesus said that he was the Messiah. What about the apostles? Did they say anything about it? Well, let's take a look. Acts chapter three. But concerning The things, would somebody bring me a glass of water, please? But the things which God previously announced by the mouths of all the prophets, that he is Christ, that he, Christ, would suffer and fulfill this in this way. He would fulfill those scriptures. It's an amazing thing to me. Pardon me that when they began to explain Christ, the Messiah, they had to go to the Old Testament. And yet, each one of them, Jesus claimed it, the apostles claimed it. Pardon me. Let's look at Acts 17, 2 and 3. According to Paul's custom, he went to them, so this was Paul's normal procedure, he went to them for three Sabbath days, three different weeks in a row and reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, he is the Christ, the Messiah. Paul spent three weeks, three sermons in a row Taking the Old Testament, making it come alive. You see, oh, thank you, brother. Pardon me. Oh For three weeks, he proclaimed Christ as the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah. Hmm. Let's look at First Corinthians. This is Paul writing, For I delivered to you, as of the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, for our sins, according to the scriptures. In the Old Testament, there was a prophecy that had to deal with the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God, that he might fulfill all of the requirements of the law, thus enabling those who would believe to have the forgiveness of sins, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and life eternal. Somebody should say amen. Amen. Thank you. But it was all according to the scriptures. So Paul clearly states it. So let's ask a question there. Jesus, the apostles, uh, the prophets, all of them had things to say about the prophecies. So how many prophecies were there? Well, there were 60 major prophets. Now, prophecies. Now, when I say major prophecies, I, I mean uh, the, that he would be the savior of the world. That's a major. They're not major in, in significance, just major in degrees. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, 60 very clear descriptions. And then there was 270 minor prophecies or prophecies that indicated something less than this magnanimous death on the cross. Uh, for instance, uh, that he would wear a crown on his head, that his hands would be pierced, and all of those things—they the, are uh, still prophecies that were fulfilled or were to be fulfilled by the Messiah. So there's 330 or 360, no, 330. I'm sorry, 330 prophecies that need to be fulfilled. <clears throat> Today, I want to look at just eight. So we're only going to look at eight of the 330 prophets or prophecies that are there, in order to understand how they were fulfilled in Christ. Okay, <clears throat> so let's go to Moses first in Genesis 3:15. Here's a prophecy, <clears throat> and I will put enmity. This is Satan talking to, to I mean uh, God talking to Adam and Eve, and here he's talking particularly to the Satan or to the serpent. And I will put enmity, that is hatred, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, that means have victory, and you shall bruise him on the heel. That was referring to the crucifixion on the cross. <clears throat> now, I, I don't know about you, but my wife has great enmity between her and snakes. If she even sees one on television, she makes me change the channel. She hates him. My nephew, he hates him just as bad. It's it's crazy to hang around him. A snake gets on the property, I have to go take care of Because they don't like him. God put that enmity there between uh, her and Lucifer. The seed, we're going to come to that in just a moment. But that's, that's a prophecy that began right in the garden, right after the fall. Now, here he says between your seed, that is uh, the evil one, and her seed. So it was prophesied that there would be someone who would be born without needing a man to give it birth or to give it life. Only one, the Messiah alone was to come and fulfill that single prophecy. Not one other being on the face of the earth, because every other person born on the earth from that time to this is of the seed of man, save the Messiah. Amen? That's a pretty powerful passage of Scripture, folks. It eliminates everybody but the Messiah. Number two, Isaiah 7. 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So, the Lord's going to give us a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Quick test. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Can you begin to see the formation going on here? The Messiah will be God with us. And he shall be born of a virgin. And of course, we see the Christmas story, we hear it every year, even by the the Peanuts group. We know that he was born of a virgin. Amazing, amazing thing. The only one ever to have that happen. All right, let's go to to Micah, chapter 2, or chapter 5, verse 2. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Talking about the Messiah, he's going to come from the city of Bethlehem. Little, lonely, out of the way, Bethlehem was chosen way beforehand to be the place of the birth of the Messiah. Begins to narrow it down some. First, he would be born of a virgin. Second, he would be born in Bethlehem. Third, Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and forsaken. Amen? Was he forsaken? Who was he forsaken by? Everybody, including his apostles. They too, or disciples, they too fell away and went and hid. We heard a sermon just a couple of weeks ago from pastor about Peter's denial. But they were, he was despised and forsaken, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and will, and, and we need not esteem him. And lo and behold, that was the truth. The more, the, the closer he came to the crucifixion, the more those that he came to give life to rejected him. It was the Gentiles and some original Jewish men that embraced him as the Messiah. But most turned against him. They wanted to be there when he did miracles. They liked all that stuff. They went there for the food or they went there for the miracles. It was like a a movie or a show or something you would go to to see a great act happen and take place there. But indeed, he was despised. Hmm. Fourthly, or fifthly, Isaiah 53. Oh, that is 53.5, sorry. Uh, 6th, Isaiah 53, 12. Let's have that one. Because he poured out himself unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sins for many and interceded even for the transgressors. There is a mouthful here. This prophecy said, first of all, he was going to pour himself out. He gave himself. He He left heaven abolishing, or not abolishing, but giving up all of his power that was there to, to glorify him, he emptied himself, he poured himself out, even to the point of death, and then was numbered with transgressors. Well, when they hung him on the cross, they hung him in the company of thieves and murderers. So he, that prophecy talks about who he, hung, who he hung with. He bore the sins of many. He bore the sins of everybody. On the cross, Jesus took the judgment of sin and applied it to himself. He took that which was mandated by the law. That for the forgiveness of sin, there must be the shedding of blood. Jesus, the Messiah, shed his blood on the cross. And yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded. Do you know what he's doing right now at the right hand of the Father? Someone tell me, what is he doing? He's interceding for you right now. And heaven itself. The Father standing there next to the Son or sitting on his throne, and Jesus intercedes for you right now. Can you say amen? That's a good thing, folks. That's a prophecy fulfilled in the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself bears our transgressions and intercedes for us. What a tr- Somebody should say amen. amen. All right. Let's go to Zechariah. I said to them if it is good in your sight to give me my wages but if not then never mind so they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages who's that talking about what's his name Judas one of his own went Now now listen, I have heard all kinds of sermons about Judas had good intentions and just bad actions. No, Satan had entered him. He had no good intention at all. He deliberately went to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of his day, and made a, a deal for 30 pieces of silver to turn Jesus in, to tell them where he was that they might go. And then he went with them, And to identify who the Messiah was, he said, it's the man whom I go and kiss. With a kiss. With a kiss, he condemned Jesus. That's a powerful prophecy. And indeed, it took place. And it also goes on, you know, when I talked about the minor uh, prophecies, uh, one of the minor prophecies was that not only would they pay him, but that he would throw the money at their feet refusing to take it. Big case of guilt must have come across to him, and then they gathered that money, and then they bought a potter's field, and so that's some of the minor prophecy that I was talking about. But for thirty pieces of silver, Judas turned him in. And let's go to John, John chapter ten, verse eighteen. Now this is this is Jesus talking about his certain death. Okay. But I want you to remember that not only was Jesus the Messiah, he had more offices than that. He was the Messiah. He was a prophet. He was a priest. And he was a king. Those were the the titles which he bore. And so he he said this himself. He prophesied. No one is talking about his life. No one has taken it away from me but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. Prior to his coming, a deal was struck or an agreement was made between Jesus. Matter of fact, this happened actually before the creation. But it was decided that Jesus would voluntarily go lay down his great glory in heaven take on the form of a man born of a woman without the the assistance of a a physical male by the Holy Spirit we would say and became flesh and lived his life among us and then prophesied about his own death listen God the Father told me that no one's going to harm me no one's going to take my life but I will voluntarily lay it down and if I lay it down, I will pick it up again that I might have life everlasting. Without death, without the sacrifice of the perfect lamb, there would be no forgiveness of sin. But if he's still dead and in the grave, what good is he? He isn't. He's just like all the rest. He's like Muhammad and, and uh, Confucius and Buddha. They're dead and past. But Jesus came as the Messiah to give life to all who would believe in him. And by his own power, he came out of that tomb. No one rolled that walk away. He did. No one laid aside his garments and stole his body. Jesus laid aside his garments. No one walked out of that grave, or no one came and took him out of that grave. Jesus walked out of that grave. Can you say amen? That's the most powerful prophecy given unto man that he would lay down his life and then he would pick it up again and provide for us eternal salvation. These are the tenets of the Christian faith. These are what binds us together. They are the most powerful credentials ever bestowed on anyone throughout history. So we've looked at eight of them. What do you suppose the odds are that one person, say Jesus, could fulfill all eight of those prophecies? What do you suppose the odds are? Well, just so happens I looked it up. It's one to ten to the 17th power. Here's what it looks like. That's hundreds, that's thousands, that's millions. That's trillions. That's billions. That's a lot. That is a lot of zeros, folks. That all of that could come about in just one man in history. That's eight prophecies, 10 to the 17th power. Pretty impressive. But there were 330 prophets, prophecies. 330. So, What would be the odds of all of those coming to fruition in just one person? All 330 fulfilled in the one person, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Here's that number. That is 1 to 10 to the 157th power. That's a lot of zeros. According to modern statistics, our statistical analysis 1 to 10 to the 157th power well that's impossible they just say it can't be done good news it was done it was done in Jesus all of it came to true. does he have credentials absolutely he has credentials no single person in all of history could do what Jesus did with his life his birth, or with, with, with his uh, uh, miraculous conception, with his life, with his uh, death on the cross, with his resurrection, with his ascension to heaven, and even coming back and hanging around with the guys for a while. All of these things were prophesied that, they, that the Messiah should do that. And so here it is. He's completed it, all 330 of them. So now when you talk to your friends about God, and you bring up the name of Jesus, you have absolute authority to press on because only Jesus has been resurrected. Only Jesus fulfilled those. You shouldn't have to bow your head or kind of back up. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring Jesus up. Yes, bring Jesus up. He's the only name given unto man which would lead to eternal life, only the name of Jesus. For how many, yes, give him a hand, absolutely. How many, how many people has he died for? All of them. Every man, woman, and child born from the time that Jesus died until the time that he comes and takes us back, every single one of them he died for. He doesn't care if they're Buddhist or Muslim or follow Confucius or if they're this or that or a jillion other things. He died for them. The single most important thing you ever heard in your life that said Jesus loves you. Amen? He loves you how much? Enough to die for you. Enough that if you would call upon his name, he would give you life and life everlasting. Somebody say amen. Amen. And the body said, amen. Listen to me, folks. It's the best news. Why do you think the gospel is called the good news? (laughs) Because it is good news. It's a good news for anyone who is in sin, never putting their faith and trust in Jesus. It's good news for them. Don't let them push you around when you bring up the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Bring it up. If you know someone is... Doesn't have a relationship with God, share with them. That's what the gospel is all about. It's the good news for those who are in sin and who are dying in their unbelief. Give them an opportunity, for crying out loud, to be saved. Amen? How did you get saved? Somebody took the time to tell you about it. It might have been a preacher in a podium. It might have been an evangelist somewhere in a revival. It might have been your mother, or your father, or your brother, your sister, whoever. I personally have had the privilege of leading my entire family to the Lord to save my brother. And, okay. I'm still working on him. Jesus died for him, too. Let me tell you, friends, when you join forces with the Lord Jesus Christ, When you put your life alongside him, he fills you with the Holy Spirit. Your sins are forgiven. They're washed away. The scripture says, as far from the east is from the west, our sins have been removed. The stain of sin in our life has been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. The sacrifice of Jesus brought life to us if we would only but reach out and take hold. So I I said in the, the very first thing, as I began to preach, at least I think I did, I hope I did, that the title of the message was, so what about Jesus? Well, what about Jesus? What is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Is he just simply a good man? Maybe even a prophet, lived a good life? Started his own religion? He is that and much, much more. He is the Savior of the world. Is he your Savior? Is he? Do you have the absolute confidence, in you at home, if you have the absolute confidence that if you were to die right now, beep, gone, that the very next thing you would see would be the open arms of Jesus Christ who welcome you into his presence. If you have absolute confidence that that is true in your life, then, friend, you are saved and saved indeed. And everybody said... Do you have Jesus in your life? Has he washed you with the blood of the Lamb? His own blood to make you whole. It's not enough, friends, just to tell you the story. There comes a time in your life, and for those of you watching, there comes a time in your life when you must deal with who Jesus is. And today I would like to help you do that. Those of you that are here, if you have absolute confidence that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you'll meet him when you you die, then I want you to join with me and pray for others who can't have that, who don't have that, because they've not trusted in him. I want to lead us in a prayer. And then I'll come back and talk a little bit more about what next to do. But I want to lead you in a prayer. And if you've never said... We call it the sinner's prayer. If you've never said that simple prayer of faith, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe he is the son of God. I believe that he died on a cross for me. I believe that he was resurrected and now sits at the right hand of the father. I believe that he's coming back and receiving us unto his glory. I believe that God loves everybody and wants everybody to be a part of that. If you believe all those things, you are saved. But if not, I want you to pray with me right now. Just where you sit in the quiet of your own heart, right here in the auditorium and there at home, just bow your heads and just say this simple prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I want you, Father, to forgive me of my sins by the blood of Christ. His sacrifice I receive to me. I pray, Lord Jesus, you give me the Spirit of God to dwell in me, my guarantee that in that day when you call me home, we shall be there. I ask that, not on my own strength, but in the name of Jesus. Amen. My friends at home, if you prayed that prayer, we're going to ask you to let us know that you did. We're going to ask you to help us understand what God has done in your life and to pray a support for you. So, what I'm going to ask you to do is simply text the word MONMOUTH to the number 97000. It's a text number. You, I put it in as a, as a contact. MONMOUTH and the phone number was 97000. You can go there and a screen's going to pop up and that screen is going to have for you Uh, an area which you can mark that said, I I trusted Christ today. Would you do that? Would you go to that site after the conclusion of our service and do that? God will honor you and will bless us and perhaps we can help you in your situation. If you're here in the auditorium and you made that prayer and you'd like somebody to know about it, I'm here after service. Just come and get me and we'll go to a corner somewhere and talk and pray together. But friends... For God is worthy of your trust.